You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. If you have your Bible handy, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing our series entitled Alive Together. We started this uh, series at the beginning of 2018, uh, just going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Uh, and we're still uh, cruising through there. If you missed any of the messages so far, uh, you can always get caught up on our website at huicala.org or subscribe to our podcast. We're closing out uh, the Ephesians chapter 5 over the next few weeks. And so uh, tonight, this morning we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse number, let's see, 22. Yeah, 22. Ephesians is, is very neatly broken up for us. And to, uh, the first three chapters are very, fairly heavy doctrinally. A lot of uh, talking about who we are in Christ, who we were before Christ, who we are now that Jesus Christ has come. Uh, the second half of this passage uh, deals with uh, very practical application. Now, here's what you do with the information now that you have it. Uh, and so we uh, are taking a look at that in this uh, passage here today. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, we're going to start in verse number 22. Actually, I'm sorry, verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, for even as the Lord the church we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. As we look at this passage of Scripture, some of you might have even, as we're reading through this passage of Scripture, been in your mind already disagreeing with the things that you're reading. Uh, that's very, very uh, uh, common in today's society today. Now, uh, I want to be very clear from the get-go that Huikala Baptist Church is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, okay? That means we believe that the Bible is God's Word from cover to cover. We, we do not believe that it's up for discussion. Uh, we don't, do not believe that we can kind of take parts of it and leave the rest of it. Uh, we believe that it is God's Word to us, uh, and it's given to us not to constrict our lives and to keep us from enjoying life, But God's word is given to us to actually magnify our joy, to make our joy even greater than it could possibly uh, be on our own. And so I want to say that from the get-go. Secondly, we live in a society today where people get offended by everything under the sun. And my goal this morning is not to offend in any way uh, whatsoever. My goal is to be incredibly biblical this morning. Uh, I think when we're true to God's word, despite everything else, I believe we'll be okay with that. 
And so uh, we live in a society where people get offended, and if you get offended by today's message, I wanted to apologize from the get-go that you found offense in God's word. And so I'm gonna be try to, to be very, very biblical in today's message. Uh, if at some point I throw in an opinion or something like that, I'll be sure to give that as a caveat. But we wanna take a look at what the Bible says. Now, as a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, it's not our job to take uh, the Bible and kind of shoehorn it into our today's culture and find a cultural fit for the Bible. That's not our job as a church. It never has been the job of the church. The job of the church has always been to take the Bible and change the world. If you, you read through the book of Acts, that's exactly what the first apostles did. They took God's word and they changed the world as a result of it. It's always been the church throughout church history for the last 2,000 years that makes a difference where they are. And that's our job uh, here this morning is to make a difference with what we have. So uh, what we're gonna talk about this morning is incredibly unpopular when it comes to popular culture today. This goes against everything that uh, we would say that our society stands for today, that uh, gender roles are given by God in the Bible and we find our greatest joy and the greatest fruitfulness in life when we follow the God's script for things. And so I want you to know from the get-go, we're not looking for offense it's become popular today also to say unkind or inflammatory statements. That's not the goal of this either. We don't want to be known as the, the shock jock church down the street. Uh, we don't want to be known as far as what we're against and what we're for and things like that. We want to be known about Jesus. The other thing I want to tell you here this morning is I would never, ever in 10 million years purposely choose to, on a Sunday morning to pull over for an entire service and talk about gender roles in the Bible. I wouldn't choose that, but we're going through Ephesians verse by verse. You see how that works? And sometimes when you go verse by verse through the Bible, you come across some kind of uncomfortable sections. Some things that you say, I probably wouldn't preach about that on a Sunday morning. I would have never probably a few weeks ago talked about alcohol on a Sunday morning for about two weeks in a row because it's just, it's one of those things that can be awkward or uncomfortable for people. But the Bible is not meant to make us comfortable. The Bible's meant to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the whole purpose of the Bible. And so if you get a little bit uncomfortable by today's message, just allow God's word to do the work. And if you come across something, you say, I don't know if I really buy that or not. Allow God's word to influence our thinking and our thought process as we take a look at this. Gender is uh, one of the things that's definitely a hot button issue in our society today. And again, uh, this is not meant to just be an inflammatory message for the sake of being inflammatory. But when it comes to the Bible, the Bible tells us that gender is a biological fact. The Bible says that God created man, male and female. Again, in our society today, it seems that uh, gender can be fluid. Uh, gender can be a choice. Uh, gender is an identity that people can choose uh, to represent themselves. We don't find that in the Bible anywhere. God created male and female, and he created them distinctively different on purpose, for a purpose. God assigned them unique roles uh, according to our gender uh, that we, again, find the greatest joy when we fulfill those roles uh, that God has given us. It seems like today uh, people have the opportunity to choose what gender they want to be. And uh, I saw a news article several weeks ago about a, uh, a man who had identified as a woman and had gone to a weightlifting meet uh, as a transgender woman, which is actually a man who identifies as a woman. And needless to say, he blew away every single woman in the, the uh, weightlifting competition and set nine world records. And then everybody looked at that and they go, okay, I think we've gone a little bit too far with this. This guy absolutely crushed women who don't have the same advantages as he does. 
Uh, several years ago, there was a uh, MMA fighter that was uh, uh, a male identifying as a woman and fought against women. Uh, his last fight, he ended up crushing a woman's skull and sending her to the emergency room. And, and everybody looked at that and they go, I think it's a little bit too far. I think we've taken this, uh, uh, the, hey, if you want to dress up uh, like a woman or you want to identify as a woman or you want to call yourself by a woman's name, that's one thing. But when we began to... Um, to do things like hurt other people or uh, begin to marginalize other people's hard work in a given area and competition and things like that. Maybe we need to step back and reanalyze that. But God would say this, we need to step back and reanalyze it just because God has a perfect design that we've gone against. We need to step back and reanalyze not just gender roles in society today, we need to step back and analyze our own hearts. We need to analyze our own behavior because uh, this morning we might be sitting here, you might say, well, I'm, I'm 100% on board with God's gender roles in the Bible. That's great, but the Bible speaks to a lot more than just gender roles. And all of us have an area where we need to grow to have the mind of Christ. All of us have an area in our life where we need to grow in our faithfulness to Jesus. Because we're born into this world at odds with God. We're born in our sin, the Bible says. And because of our sin, sin has a price that must be paid. There's a penalty because you and I have broken God's law. And it's not just that we've broken God's law and we get to say we're sorry and go on with life. No, we've broken God's law and there's a price tag, a penalty associated with that. The consequences of my sin and the consequences of your sin is that we will be judged by God. And God's judgment has already been taken care of. He's already determined that you and I are guilty before him. He's already determined what the sentence is. The sentence is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. This eternal separation from God in hell is called the second death. And that's what we deserve because we've sinned against God, we've broken God's law, and we are guilty before him. But here's the good news. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want you to be separated from him. So he made a way for you to be forgiven and a way for me to be forgiven. And his name's Jesus. God's perfect son who never sinned one single solitary time came to this earth for one purpose and one purpose only, to pay for my sin and to pay for yours. That's the only reason that he came. Now, he had a lot of great teachings. Uh, He had a lot of wisdom that he shared that we still study to this day. But the primary purpose for Jesus coming, he says, was to seek and to save that which was lost. And you and I are lost without Jesus. So the Bible tells us in Romans chapter five that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus came and died in our place to pay the penalty of our sin. But just like any payment, you have to have that payment applied to your account. You have a choice to either accept God's payment for your sin or reject it. I met people before who I told them, Jesus has died for your sin. All you have to do is is ask for forgiveness of your sin, turn from it, and receive the payment of forgiveness. And they say, I think I'm good. I'll just work it out in heaven when I get there. If there is a God, and if he is a God of love, we'll just take care of it. We'll settle up whenever we get to heaven. Friend, there's no settling up when you get to heaven. Your judgment has already been laid out. The penalty must be paid at that point. Or you can have Jesus pay the penalty for you. I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I recognized that even at nine that I'd broken God's law, that I was in danger of God's judgment, And I asked God to save me as a nine-year-old boy. And God did. 
Now, all that did was adopt me into the family of God and make sure that I was on my way to heaven. I have to spend the rest of my life now living as an obedient son, an obedient child. That's my job for the rest of my life is to live my life in a way that makes my heavenly father proud of me. But if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved, you're in danger of God's judgment. The Bible says, uh, Jesus said in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. There has to be a time, a date, a place in your life where you accepted Christ's payment as forgiveness for your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ as your savior. If you don't have that, friend, you stand in danger of God's judgment. But Jesus has paid the price for you so that you can be saved so that you can be forgiven if you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in Christ today. You say, what does that have to do with gender roles in the Bible? It has everything to do with it because our heart is sinful and we just wanna go our own way and do our own thing. But God has outlined an order in which we can follow to find the greatest life and the most fruitful life that we can imagine As we look at this uh, idea of gender roles in the Bible, gender gives us unique roles in the lifelong quest of giving glory to God. Here's where things get mixed up a little bit too. If you were to ask anybody on the street, what's the meaning of life? Why are we here? What's our purpose in life? If you ask 10 people, you'd probably get 10 different answers. I think even if you ask many Christians today, what's the reason for you being here? You'd probably get a different answer from even Christians. But the Bible gives us clear reasons why we're here. We're here to give glory to God. My life is meant to be a reflection of how good God is. I don't want people to look at my life and say, what a great guy Anthony is. I want people to look at my life and say, what a great God Anthony has. That's the whole purpose. That I'm not the center of the spotlight. I'm just the dude holding the reflector that's pointing the light back to Christ. You guys ever seen those guys standing on the sidewalk over there with the big light kits and they got the person holding the big thing that looks like you put in your front windshield of your car? They got the light and they're moving it the right way and with a sunlight and stuff like that. That's you and I. We're holding the reflector to point to God's glory. Here's the thing. God is the anchor man holding the microphone in front of the camera and you and I are just pointing the light on it to make sure it shines really, really brightly. The problem is you and I think that we're the one on, on the camera and God exists just to make the light shine on me to make me look good. That's backwards, And when we get it backwards and we think that we're the center of the show and we're the main attraction, then life exists for me. And now it's about what I want to get out of life. It's about what I want to do with my life. It's about what makes me happy. And if God wants to shine his light on me while I do my thing, that would be awesome. But at the end of the day, I just want to be happy. That's the opposite. And that's why we find people unfulfilled in this life because I'm trying to do my own thing but my own thing's not working. I'm trying to do things my own way but that didn't pan out the way that I thought that it would. I did this because I thought it would bring me happiness and joy but I found out there was only disappointment and heartache there. Why? Because I think I'm the main attraction. I think I'm the star of the show. Oh no friend, Jesus is the star of the show. You and I just get to give him glory. Here's the great thing about gender roles. God has made me a man so that I have a unique opportunity to give him glory. God's made my wife a woman, and she has a role that I could never possibly fulfill in her quest to give God glory. 
And the two of us together as a married couple have unique gender roles that God's given us inside of marriage for the purpose of giving him glory. That's what this whole passage is all about. It's important to understand that the Bible doesn't advocate for traditional gender roles. When people begin to hear about husbands leading and being the head of the wife and wives living in submission, they immediately have flashbacks to the 50s where mom's in the kitchen uh, baking chocolate chip cookies with an apron on and she's not allowed to bother dad while he's reading the newspaper. That couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible does not advocate that whatsoever. And again, we run into trouble when we begin to use words like traditional because tradition doesn't rule the Christian life, the Bible does. Culture doesn't rule the Christian life, the Bible does. Tradition doesn't determine right versus wrong, the Bible does. And again, we run into trouble with any religion that is built on tradition as opposed to God's word. Here at Who We Call a Baptist Church, we're a Bible-believing church. We, we do things in accordance with the Bible. We don't do it because that's the way we've always done it or, uh, you know, my church back home used to do that or uh, my grandpa told me this. We do it because the Bible says this is how it's done. And we're looking at this passage this morning because this is what the Bible says. You see, the Bible follows God's wisdom and designs, not what is considered a cultural norm. It's not about what is acceptable in society. If you, if you really commit to being a follower of Jesus, like the real deal, and you decide to follow what the Bible says, friend, you will be a cultural anomaly. You will not blend in. You will stick out like a sore thumb. I promise you that. And so the Bible isn't governed by what's acceptable in our society. Christians throughout history have always been counterculture. And it's not like we're, we're rebelling for the sake of rebellion. It's not like we're just trying to stand out and be different and do our own thing. No, no, no. We're counterculture because the God of this world, being Satan, has blinded people to the truth. And again, I know that sounds crazy. If, if maybe you're new to church or new to the Bible, you say, oh, really, the devil's blinded people and they don't know the truth. That's what the Bible says. Again, we're a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And so it's not about being ruled by what's acceptable in society. It's about being ruled by the Bible. And the Bible always supersedes tradition. That word always, you should circle, star, underline, draw a box around it if you have to. The Bible always supersedes tradition, 100% of the time. At who we call a Baptist church, we, we run a predictable progression of our Sunday morning service. We gather together, we sing a couple songs, we shake hands for what people think is entirely too long. Um, and all the introverts said, amen. You would have said amen, but you're an introvert and you just said amen in your heart, right? Uh, I know because I am one, right? After that, we, we hear another song that, uh, that we worship along with and sometimes sing along with, and then we, we hear preaching from the Bible. After preaching from the Bible, we have an opportunity to respond to, to what the Bible, we heard from the Bible. After that, we give out of heart of love, worship, and adoration for God. We make some announcements, we split, and we hang out and talk afterwards. Why do we do that? Because it's exactly what they did in the Bible. Exactly, to the T. So that's why we do what we do. It's not tradition, it's biblical. So the Bible always supersedes tradition the Bible also doesn't advocate for hierarchical gender roles. I don't know about you, but I've worked jobs before that every time they passed out a flow chart, you just, everybody got uneasy. 
I remember one time uh, I was even working at a church and they passed out a flow chart. And I was just like, there's no way that guy's over me. No, no way. Well, that's just how it got arranged in the flow chart. No, no, no. Then you should have put him beside me or put him in his own tree. Like, I don't work for him. Hierarchies and flow charts and trees and stuff like that do strange things to us. First of all, just because we're proud people. But it's important to understand that the Bible follows no hierarchical system uh, for the way that uh, um, gender roles work and function. Male and female are created equal with unique roles that complement one another in a very, very healthy way. Hierarchical view of gender roles puts men above women and doesn't allow an opportunity for equality. This is the opposite of God's design. And again, when people bristle at what the Bible says about the headship of the husband and the submission of the wife, they begin to make, make them feel uncomfortable because they haven't seen it done well. They haven't seen healthy gender roles carried out in a marriage the way that it should be. They've seen domineering or ugly or, or some guy who wants to be the boss or some woman who's not willing to, uh, to follow the leadership of her husband for whatever reason. And there's tension and there's anger. And then somebody gets the idea that, that, well, he's in charge and I just gotta follow whatever he says. That's incredibly unhealthy and it's unbiblical as well. Bible also doesn't uh, advocate for a patriarchal system or either. This puts men in charge and women on the sidelines. Patriarchal, uh, it says that guys are in charge of everything and women just sit around and wait to be told what to do. Again, incredibly unhealthy. The Bible doesn't advocate for that. But the Bible does call for men to be men and ladies to be ladies. It's just how it is. Uh, we have uh, probably uh, four or five times a year men's leadership uh, get-togethers. We have either on a Friday night or we have a men's conference over a weekend or something like that. And every uh, couple of, uh, two or three times a year, we'll have ladies' events and stuff like that. Excuse me. But I found that guys need a lot more help being guys than ladies need help being ladies. In the history of me being a part of who we call a Baptist church, almost six years now. I've never one time had another guy call me and say, hey, pastor, what's up? I was thinking about taking the kids to the park. You wanna go with me? Never. No guy's ever said that to me, ever. I've never had a guy say, hey, I was over at the mall picking out shoes and I wonder if you wanna come over and give me a hand with that. Never. You know why? Guys don't do stuff like that, right? We just don't. You know what? You know what I do if I want to go to the park? You know, you know what I do? Guys, help me. What do I do? You go to the park. Right? Guys, help me with this. If I need to go to the bathroom, what do I do? Yeah, exactly. You just go. I don't need to form a committee to go with me. I don't need to pack a bag to go to the bathroom. What? Just go, right? And so, guys, we need to get together and talk about how we can support each other as dudes, right? Uh, because ladies, they just got it down automatically for whatever reason. Guys need a little bit of help with that. But here's the thing. Those things are what make women unique, and those are things that make guys unique. And we need to grow in our manhood and embrace our manhood, not suppress it. The Bible does indicate that a man and woman are equal in personhood. God created man first and he created woman. And again, you're not gonna like this, but I'm just gonna say it because it's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that Eve was created to be a help to Adam. That was her role. Well, I don't like that. Take it up with God. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. 
But here's the thing, they were created equal in value to God with differing roles. And if you were to ask somebody which is more important, a fork or a spoon, what would they say? Well, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? Each of them fulfills a unique role. And what good is a spork? None, right? <laughs> True statement. Have you ever tried to cut a steak with a spork before? You can't even fit your knife under it. It's like, what is that? And it's a crummy spoon because everything falls off the end and it's just, it doesn't work well. Which one's best? Neither. They're just different. They fulfill different roles. The same is true in marriage. It's important to understand, though, that there's a ditch on both sides of the road when it comes to gender roles. One side could say, the guys run the show, the ladies just sit back and be quiet. Incredibly unhealthy. Not good at all. Well, the guy's the boss. The Bible says he's the head and the wives should submit. Incredibly unhealthy. You missed the point. And then on the other side of the road is this ditch that says gender is just whatever you want it to be. And if the lady wants to lead and the guy wants to submit, let them do that. If the woman wants to call the shots and she wants to wear the pants in the family, just let her do that. Let the guy do his own thing. And both of those would be at opposite ends of the spectrum, but both of them are equally wrong. The Bible says let's meet in the middle with those we're both valuable in God's sight, but we both fulfill different roles inside the home. This is God's plan. This is God's design. We refer to this as complementarianism. It's a big, huge word that means women and men are spiritually equal but have distinct and complementary roles in home, the church, and in wider society. Equal in value, differing roles. One's not better than the other. And, and here's the thing. If we were to look at our capabilities or competencies, it doesn't necessarily mean that every guy is qualified to lead if that was the qualifications of it. But the qualifications of leadership is by God's design. The flip side of that corner, the opposite end of the spectrum, would be egalitarianism, which say that men and women have properly have equal and interchangeable roles in the home, the church, and the wider society. This idea of egalitarianism is very pro prominent even in churches today where ladies uh, can serve as pastors. You might look and say, what's wrong with that? I've heard so-and-so is a really good preacher. If you read the Bible, and again, we're a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives the qualifications of a pastor. The very first one, the husband of one wife. Done. Settled. Ladies can't be pastors according to the Bible. Well, that's really outdated. Now we begin to try to shoehorn the Bible into our cultural norm. We run into trouble every time we do that. Well, maybe the women can't pastor it. Maybe women should, uh, can, can still speak to, to congregations and, and, and preach to men and things like that. First Timothy chapter 2 says that women can't teach men or have any type of authority over men in the church. That's what it says. Again, because we're a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, we believe what the Bible says. And we act accordingly. Well, I know Joyce Meyer could preach your socks off, Pastor. I'm sure she could. I'm certain of that. She's a far better speaker than I am, for sure. But when it comes to the Bible, she's not biblically qualified to pastor or to preach to men. Just not, not capable. And so again, it's not being chauvinistic. It's not trying to put women in their place or to tell women that they're not valued or not equal or anything like that. We're just going back to what does the Bible say. And again, if you disagree with it, you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with the Bible. 
But egalitarianism has the idea that, that gender is, uh, is not really all that important. It's just a biological thing. It doesn't necessarily determine uh, one's role or what one should do or how one should behave or how they should act or anything like that. Uh, gender is strictly biological from that viewpoint. But you see, God's design for gender roles begins with mutual submission. This is the beautiful part of it. And again, if you've been uh, kind of disagreeing in your head with me or with the Bible about all of this, I hope this is the place where you begin to be soft and open to what the Bible has to say. If we take a look at verse number 21 in our passage here, before God says that men are the head of the wife, before it says that wives should submit to their husbands, you know what verse 21 says? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know what that means? In my marriage with my wife, we submit to one another. And never, and never, ever, in the time that we've been married, ever said these words. Well, you know what? I'm in charge, so you need to submit. Never said those words. And let me help you with something, too, as a leader. If you ever have to tell somebody in char- that you're in charge, you're not in charge, right? I'm the one in charge around here. <laughs> you're not in charge of nothing. You're not. When you have to tell your wife that she needs to submit because you said so, you're not in charge of anything, friend. And the problem is not with your wife's submission. Chances are the problem is with your godly leadership. That's what I found, at least. But you see, it begins with submitting ourselves to each other. This recognizes the moral value and equal status of both men and women. Here's the thing. My wife knows that I love her and that I'm looking out for her best interest wife knows that I'm not a perfect man, but I try to walk with Jesus every single day of my life, that I'm truly seeking God's wisdom and God's heart for our family and the decisions inside of our family, that I love her and I would never put her in an awkward position or put our family in a bad spot financially, morally, ethically, situationally, anything. She knows that I'm looking out for her so she can trust me. But again, It goes back to mutual submission. I've never made a major life-changing decision that I didn't ask for her input on, ever. You say, well, you have the right to do that. It's not wise. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Hey, my wife's considerably smarter than I am. She's wiser than I am. She knows a lot more about life than I do. She's probably a better people reader than I am. So I need her input, and I choose to submit myself to her as she submits herself to me, and that's what makes it work. The problems come in marriages when both parties want to bow up and have their way. That's where everything begins to fall apart. But when I say, sweetheart, what do you think about this? Hey, I was thinking about doing this. What are your thoughts on that? And there's been times where I've made really bad calls, and she says, I don't agree with you, but I support you. You know what that is? That's godly submission. And every time that I went against her counsel and it blew up in my face, not one time did she ever say, I told you so. You should have listened to me. I told you that was gonna happen. Those words never came out of her mouth, ever. She just said, hey, we got ourselves in this mess. We'll get ourselves out of it. Knowing full well that I was the one that got us into the mess. You know why? Because mutual submission brings peace in the home. You see, mutual submission requires an emphasis on mutual interdependence. This word interdependence is unique, and we need to make, make note of this. 
please understand this is not codependence. There's a difference. Have you ever met somebody who's codependent before? Oh, man, they're draining, aren't they? Draining. Always have to have somebody tag along. Always have to have somebody listening to their problems. Always have to have somebody uh, holding them up. Marriage and the Christian home is not about codependence. It's about interdependence. What's the difference? The difference is both of us are strong for one another, and we lean on each other's strengths. That's what interdependence is. Codependence is I'm, I'm weak, I'm frail, I'm nothing without you, and I need you because you're the only thing that makes life worth living. That's codependence, and it's unhealthy. If you want to have codependence on anybody, have codependence on Jesus. He's the one that you need to be codependent on. Your spouse will fail you, disappoint you, let you down, but Jesus never fails. So you can trust him. But I want to be the strongest man that I can be for my wife. And she wants to be a strong, godly woman for me so that she can help me to be a better man. That's how this works. Mutual submission to each other. Knowing our strengths so that we can support and complement one another together. God's design for gender roles are about leadership and submission. Again, we can't get around this. And again, it's unpopular to even use the word submission. But it's a Bible word and we're going to use it. Important to understand that leadership is not the right to rule. It's the responsibility to serve. This is what we need to get with leadership. You know what leadership for my family looks like? It's not about telling my wife what's for dinner tonight. You know what leadership for my family is? Bringing the car around to pick her up when it's raining outside. That's leadership. Leadership is watching my daughter while my wife goes and gets her nails done. That's leadership. Some people might think, well, Oh, if we're at a restaurant and your baby starts crying, you probably tell your wife to take out the baby, right? No, you know what I do? I'll put the baby in the shoulder and I'll walk around. You know why? Because that's what leaders do. They see a problem and they take care of it. That's what submission to each other looks like. Leadership is not, the baby's interrupting my dinner, take it out. That's not leadership. You're just a jerk. And if you think that's leadership, you have no idea who Jesus is. Just, just know that. Leadership is not calling the shots. Leadership's not about being the boss or running the show. Leadership is how can I serve you? Hey, I'm the pastor of this church, okay? When I go to the bathroom, there's water all over the sink. You know what I do? I get a couple of paper towels and I wipe the sink and I throw it away. That's what leaders do. Leaders don't throw the door open and go, somebody needs to clean this bathroom up. It's a pigsty. That's not leadership. You're just a boss. And nowhere in this passage does it say that husbands get to be a boss. You get to lead. And leadership's way different than calling the shots, running the show, being the boss. It's about serving. It's about loving. It's about encouraging. It's about seeing a problem and making sure that it gets handled. You know, when the oil needs to be changed on the car, I don't tell my wife to take it through Jiffy Lube. You know what I do? I get the oil changed on the car. If I get in the car and the gas is empty, I know my, my wife's taking the kids to school in the morning, I don't say, you should probably leave a little bit early. There's no gas in the car. You know what I do? I go fill it up with gas. You know why? Because that's what leaders do. Leadership is not the opportunity to be in charge. It's the opportunity to serve. 
I get to serve my wife. I'm obligated to serve. If my kids are struggling with their homework, I do my best to try to help them. If it's algebra, I hire a tutor because <laughs> terrible at math. But you know what? If there's a problem, I'm gonna solve it because that's what leaders do. It's not about calling the shots, being in charge, saying what gets done around here. It's about loving and serving others. And I have a God-given right and responsibility to serve. But people get messed up when they see that word head of the wife. Like it's some flow chart and he's in charge and he calls the shots. Again, and we look back at shows like Leave It to Beaver where dad sits in the recliner and reads the newspaper and, and smokes his pipe and mom makes chocolate chip cookies and we think that's what the Bible's talking about. That's not what it's talking about. Hey, look, I wash dishes in our house. You know why? Because that's what leaders do. Hey, sometimes at a restaurant or sometimes when we have a meal together as a family, I'm the last one to eat. You know why? Because that's what leaders do. We have a guys get together on a Friday night. I generally eat before. You know why? Because I'm walking around talking with folks, picking up people's garbage, throwing it away. You know why? Because that's what leaders do. I'm trying to give you a paradigm. I'm not trying to tell you that I'm the greatest leader in the world. I'm trying to give you a paradigm of what leadership looks like from a biblical perspective. Jesus led. You know what he did when it came time to have a meal together? Everybody's looking around and go, I wonder who's going to wash feet because we don't have a servant to wash feet here. He's looking around and says, it's going to be me, man. I've been here longer than you have. You know what Jesus did? He stood up. He got a towel. He draped around his waist. And he started walking around washing feet. That was the position of a slave. And they said, oh, no, Jesus, don't do that. We'll take care of that. Well, you didn't before. But then he said, no, no I'm teaching you a lesson right here. Whoever's gonna be the greatest among you will actually be the least. And here's the great part about that. By being the head of your home, you get to be the least in your home. That's what this passage means. So if you're gonna take a look at the flow chart, it goes Jesus, your family, and then you. That's how the flow chart works, if you want a flow chart for it. But that's a privilege. That's a blessing that I get to serve, that I get to lead. Leadership and submission have nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. Again, we, we run afoul when we think this idea of submission in our home has the idea that somebody's inferior and somebody's superior. And again, we've all seen unhealthy homes like that where the husband is demeaning or ugly or angry. Hey, he's not loving his wife the way that Jesus loves his church. He's not doing his part in this passage here. Leadership and submission have nothing to do with capabilities and competencies. My wife and I switch off usually every couple of years as far as who keeps the checkbook. Uh, she is far more detail-oriented than I am, but sometimes her plate gets full and that's something I take over and make sure that everything gets done and, and paid on time and stuff like that. But we don't take on the role based on who's in charge or who's the boss. We do it as an opportunity to serve each other. There's times where I, I cook dinner. Sometimes it's frozen pizzas, but I cook dinner. And sometimes she does. You know why? Because it's not based on who's better at something. It's about how we, can we serve each other. Again, if leadership in our home was based on competencies or capabilities, my wife would be in charge, no doubt about it. But it's not based on that. It's based on God-given roles and responsibilities that we have. And I've been given the responsibility to love and serve my wife the way that Jesus loves and serves his church. And that's my responsibility that I have to fulfill. Leadership's about accepting ultimate responsibility for serving and sacrificing for the good of the family. That's what leadership is. 
Leadership says, what can I do for the best thing for my home? What's a way that I can serve my wife this week? What's a way that I can serve my children this week? And, and please understand this. If you have children in your home, there are very quick studies on what's going on in your house. And to them, the gender roles that you have in your home automatically become the norm for them. They just think that everybody's like that. So that's why it's my responsibility to show my boys what a man of God looks like, what a man of God looks like so they can grow up to be men of God. That's why it's important that I love and serve my daughters because I want them to grow up and marry a man of God when they're in their 50s. <laughs> they're not dating before 40, that's for sure. Seriously, I want my girls to be able to say, uh-uh, that guy's a jerk, no way. I know what a man of God looks like because I lived with one. But you see, if I'm around the house yelling at my wife, asking her when dinner's gonna be ready, telling her that my feet hurt, asking her to do the laundry, telling her to iron my clothes and stuff like that, my daughters will hear that and assume that that's normal. I can't wait to get married to a guy who shouts orders at me and demeans me and talks down to me and calls me names. I can't be, wait to be married to a guy who plays video games on his cell phone all night long and ignores his family wow, marriage is gonna be great. Why? Because that's normal to them. And again, in our culture, that's normal, but the church is called to be counterculture. We're called to be different. And I'm telling you this, men, if you commit to being a man who loves your wife the way that Jesus loves his church, and you serve and love your family, you will be weird. And I'm okay with being weird. I don't wanna be like everybody else. Divorce rate in America is 50% and, and declining. You know why it's declining? Because people aren't getting married anymore. They're just living together, and if, when it doesn't work out, they bounce to the next one. I don't want to live like that. I don't want my kids to live like that. I don't want my church family to live like that. I want better for them than that. But we can't go against God's plan and then hope that everything works out. It doesn't work that way in any area of our life. Final thought in this, and this is really the big idea here, is God's design for gender roles are about telling the story of Jesus. This is the big idea here. Paul, as he writes to the church at Ephesus, he goes through this big uh, long speech about how women should submit to their husbands and how husbands should love and cherish and take care of their wives and support them and lead them and love them. And then he says at the end, this is a great mystery that I speak to. It's actually kind of a secret that I was uh, uh, pulling a quick one on here. I'm actually talking about the way that Jesus loves his church. And marriage is really just a big picture of how Jesus loves his church and how the church honors and respects the leadership of Jesus. That's the big idea here. I'm excited in uh, two weeks we'll have a wedding here on a Saturday afternoon. I'm really excited about that. Uh, Brian Anderson and Anya McClinton are getting married. I'm super fired up. I love weddings. Weddings are special times because it's a picture of a groom who's a picture of Jesus Christ and how much he loves his bride, which is the church, coming together in holy matrimony. That's why we don't do goofy stuff at weddings here where we uh, play some music and people come dancing down the aisle and stuff like that. Everybody wears Chuck Taylors and sunglasses and they got hats that they throw off. And stuff. You know, that's not what a marriage ceremony is supposed to be. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and how he loves his, his, his church. It's a holy day. It's a special day. And it's a picture of Jesus and who he is. That's what 
marriage is about. That's what our gender roles are about. Men have the responsibility of showing how Jesus loves his church. The Bible says that he gave his life for it. It's my job to show people how much Jesus loves his church by the way that I treat my wife, by the way that I lead her, by the way that I encourage her. We live in a society today that wants to blur the lines in, in when it comes to gender roles and, and how men and women uh, react to one another. And it's so incredibly damaging. I mean, all you have to do is go to the mall on a, a Friday night and you see a group of people together and you see the guys who want really, really badly to be a girl and are dressed up like a girl and you have girls who have rejected their femininity and want to be a guy. And it's just like, it's mixed up here. Like in the same group of people, you have guys who are acting like girls and girls who are acting like guys and, and there's so much confusion there with that. And that bleeds over to when you get on the bus and a lady gets on the bus and some dude's sitting there with his bag and his headphones on and he looks up at the lady who gets on the bus and looks back and starts doing his own thing. You know why? Because women aren't any different than men in his eyes. And he doesn't have to show a woman love and respect. This is why when you go to the mall and somebody's in front of you and they let the door slam in your face and you, they look at you like, what's your problem? What do you mean, what's my problem? To see my wife pushing a, a stroller and somebody lets the door slam in their face, it's just like, what happened? She's just like another dude. She can get the door for herself because we don't need to respect women. We don't need to respect and honor women. We as men don't have to lead anymore because they're, the only thing different about us is our biology. She's just like another dude. and we'll, we'll treat her like another dude. That tears at the fabric of our society when we think that gender is just biology. Men, it's our job to love, lead, and respect. And if you're not married, you need to be a man that loves, lead, and respects women. And again, by leading women, I don't mean telling them what to do or calling the shots. I mean loving them and serving them. Every time uh, our service dismisses and it's dark outside, and there's a single mom who's here by herself or a lady who uh, rode separately, we always ask, hey, can I have another guy walk you to your car? Oh, I'm just parked at the mall. Great, we'll have people walk with you. You know why? Because we want to lead them and love them and encourage them in that way. See, our society today says, uh, she's, a, she's a, just a woman. She can take care of herself. Get a can of mace. Good grief. Learn, take a self-defense class. Learn to take up for yourself. And I'm not advocating that we keep women weak. That's not the idea behind this either. The idea is that we as men just be men. But the idea here is that we love, we lead, we serve we have the responsibility to show how Jesus loves his church. And women have the responsibility of showing how the church honors and trusts Jesus. The way a godly woman loves, supports, and submits to her husband is the same way that the church says, I trust Jesus. He's always been good to me. And here's the thing. Over the next two weeks, next week we're going to take a look at the guy's role in a marriage. The following week we're going to take a look at the lady's role in a marriage. Uh, so if, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, uh, maybe come back in a few weeks. I don't know. Uh, no, come back next week and find out what the Bible says. Seriously, come back next week and find out what the Bible says. We're going to take a look at what men's role in the marriage looks like. But a woman, if her husband is loving Jesus and loving her family and leading it well, she should love to submit to her husband. I remember when Angela and I first got married, we didn't have premarital counseling. Nobody sat us down and told us how marriage was supposed to work. We just figured it out by trial and error. And sometimes the error was really bad error. But I'll never forget 
we were young, we made a lot of stupid financial decisions. Our paycheck came in and we had more bills than we had paycheck. And she looked at me and she goes, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I told her, don't worry about it, I've got this. We've been married for like maybe four months. Don't worry about it, I got this. And she's like, well, what are you gonna do? I said, I don't know, but you don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of it. And she goes, really? I go, yeah. She's like, okay. And that was the end of it. And like a year later, she told me that was a defining moment in our marriage when I realized that you had it and I could just trust you. That's what submission looks like. Now, did I handle it well? No, I didn't. I continued to make stupid financial decisions. <laughs> I'll be honest. Seriously, I'm not, making, I'm not trying to be funny. But she continued to love and support me. And there were times where she says, I don't agree with this, but I support you. This is a bad call, but I support you. I don't understand it, but I trust you. That's a picture of how the church should love Jesus. I don't fully understand all this, but I trust you. I might not necessarily agree with this right now in my mind and my heart, but I trust that you know what's going on here. That's the idea behind it. There's a quote that's in your notes from a, a book that I read. It's so powerful. I thought about trying to paraphrase it, but I didn't want to. I just wanted you to read it. The tendency today is to stress the equality of men and women by minimizing unique significance of our maleness and femaleness. That's where we're at today. But this depreciation of male and female personhood is a great loss. It's taking tremendous toll on generations of young men and women who do not know what it means to be a man or woman. Confusion over the meaning of sexual personhood today is epidemic. The consequence of this confusion is not a free and happy harmony among gender-free persons relating on the basis of abstract competencies. The consequence, rather, is more divorce, more homosexuality, more sexual abuse, more promiscuity, more social awkwardness, and more emotional distress and suicide that come with the loss of God-given identity. This is it in a nutshell. Suicide amongst young people is at an all-time high. Why? Because they thought more sex would make them happy, but it didn't. They thought exploring their sexuality would make them happy, and it didn't. They thought that by getting some type of gender reassignment surgery, they would finally find the person that they were created to be, only to find that they found more self-hatred, disappointment. And the result of that is more depression, more suicide. Why? Because we never embraced our God-given identity. I love being a man. I love being a dude and everything that that entails. I want my boys to grow up embracing their manhood. I want my boys to know how to sling a uh, swing a sledgehammer. I want them to be able to know how to split wood. I taught Vanderlei uh, a few months ago how to, to change the oil on our car. Things like that are important. Does that make you a man that you can change your own brakes? No. It's, it's cool, though. <laughs> right? It's cool. You might be sitting here going, I've never changed the oil in my own car. I must not be a man. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about embracing manhood. I don't want, I'm going to say this. I want to say it carefully. I don't want to try to be feminine, not because I'm a dude and I think dudes should do dude stuff. I don't want to try to be feminine because I don't want to take away from my wife's unique identity that is hers. Does that make sense? 
when I take on a feminine role, I'm stealing from her what makes her uniquely her. I don't try to make chocolate chip cookies in our house. You know why? Because my wife is awesome at it. You know? She doesn't try to, she does try to hang pictures sometimes and it's terrible when she does it. You know, she doesn't try to operate power tools. You know why? Because that's something that's good for me. And again, I'm not, please understand, get this. I'm not saying that if you're a woman and you use a drill that you're not following God's design. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about embracing your personhood in Christ of who God created you to be. That's it. And men should be men and fulfill manly roles and ladies should fulfill ladies' feminine roles. That's it. Now, again, this gets unique if, if, in single-parent homes. I'll give you that because in single-parent homes, a uh, person's got to be mom and dad at the same time. I get that. It, it clouds things. That's why it's not God's design. It's not God's best, but that's where you have to make the best of it. I want to encourage you with that. There's not, it's not that hope is lost for you. It's just going to be a little bit harder, a little bit more difficult, but by God's grace and with your pastor's help, I can help you through it. I promise you that. But here's the thing. This is just the beginning of the next two weeks we're going to talk about the role of a husband and a wife. It's important. Don't blow this off. Don't think to yourself, all oh, this church is backwards, all oh, this church is old-fashioned and things like that. We're not old-fashioned, we're just biblical. We're not trying to fit the Bible to our culture. We're trying to fit the Bible to our lives. And for some of us in our homes, it's going to require a, a fundamental shift of the way that we do things. Next week, husbands, I'm going to talk to you about how you lead and love your wife well. You might say, well, I'm not married, so I don't have to come next week. No, you need to learn what a husband should be and what he shouldn't be. The following week, I'm going to teach the ladies, everybody here, but especially our, our ladies, how to be godly women that can submit to your husband's leadership even when he doesn't deserve it. And we're going to grow together as a result of it. The most important thing in the world, though, is if you're here today and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven. There's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again. Gender roles in the rest of the Bible doesn't amount to a hill of beans unless you take care of your sin problem with God. Because when you die, the Bible says that there'll be no more marriage in heaven. But you know what will happen when you die? You'll stand before God and have to give an account for your life. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. For those of us that are married, let's take this next couple of weeks and really pray for our family. Pray that God would change us men to being the men of God that we've been called to be, ladies, women of God that God's called you to be. If you're not here and you're not married, would you pray for the families of our church? Would you embrace the personhood that God's given you so that you can reflect and maximize his glory in the role that you've been uniquely given? That's what this is all about. If we seek to give God glory in everything that we do, that's the whole purpose of our existence.